Father God, I pray that we would just be reminded that we are children of yours and that we have come here to listen and learn and try to gain from what others have gone before us have done. I pray that you would just be revealed to us in abundance tonight and that we wouldn't lose sight of what we're truly here to do, and that's to bring glory to you and to teach others about you and to just be a child of yours and let your light shine through us. As we go through this tonight, I pray that we would just be solely focused on you, that we would have discipline with you only, and that we would listen to your strength and let no other distractions come into our minds, Lord. I pray that as we read this word, that we would learn something new, and that our love for you would grow even fonder. Father, in your name that we pray, amen. Okay, so before we get real heavy and deep, we're doing this whole, like, appetite series, which I think is fascinating because I love to eat. So um, I know you, you probably got pen and paper or you got a cell phone of some sort. So I want you to take it out just for a few moments, and I want you to make a list. Like, one to three things, what are you hungry for? Just, like, one to three things. Like, you can put cheesecake for all I care, just something. What are you truly hungry for, like, in this moment? And I'll tell you what I put, because I did this for myself. I'll give you like a couple of seconds. Okay. If if you're not done, that's okay. So, um, when I thought about this question... um, I wasn't physically hungry at the moment. If I would have, it probably would have been cheesecake or pot roast. Um, But I chose three things about God that I'm truly hungry for. I put his wisdom, his mercy, and his forgiveness. If I could have those myself and then to give those to others, that would be what I would want in this life. But I got to thinking, I was like, um, because I was kind of reading the passage that Keith had kind of like guided me to, and I was like, where, where am I at in this whole truly being hungry thing? And just like a like side note, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I was like, I am not a cheap date. Like, you can't just take me. Like, I'm not going to get a salad and water. Like, I'm not that girl. Um, I, I've never gotten a salad and water, like, ever. I always get, like, six boneless wings with sweet tea and lemon. Like, you know, I have to have, like, protein because I'll have a shaky spill. If you know me, I'm going to have a shaky spell. Like, I have to have snacks. And I was thinking, like, what in this world makes us have a shaky spell? Like, what do you go with, with, like, withdrawals from? Is it, like, materialistic things? Is it affection from, like, a physical person? What are you really hungry for? And so that's why I wanted to ask you, like, what were your three things? And if, like, I don't, I didn't do that, like, to make you feel bad, but just to, like, evaluate yourself and kind of see where you're at with God. Because we're going to be talking about, of course, some people that decided to have a meal of some sort. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25 tonight. That's going to be like our main focus. And to give you like a little backstory, it's about this set of twins, Esau and Jacob. And they were the children of Rebekah and Isaac. Um, Rebekah was not able to bear children at what we call like the normal age. And so Isaac prayed and begged God, like, I really want my wife to be able to bear children. And so that happened. Rebecca was able to bear twins. And then 
as they grow up in their life, we read about this story that has happened. So starting off in Genesis 25, verse 27. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby son all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. So when I first read that, I thought, Jacob's wretched. Like, why? You're supposed to feed your brother and take care of him. Why are you going to ask for his birthright? And so, like, I had to do some serious looking. I was like, why is the birthright such a big focus point? Well, if you read, like, up earlier through Genesis chapter 25, you find out that these two boys would be the two separate nations of Abraham. That's key. I mean, that's how the rest of us came about. And to learn that um, Jacob actually and Esau did not like each other even in their mother's womb. Earlier in chapter 25, it talks about how they would struggle in the womb. And that Jacob, who came second originally, but we now know as the first, came out holding on to Esau's heel. And that's how he got his name, Jacob, which I thought was super cool to just kind of figure out how all this worked. But Jacob was serious. Jacob had a very close relationship with his mother, Rebekah, and then Isaac and Esau were kind of together by themselves. And Jacob knew the importance of the birthright, and so did Esau, but Esau didn't like the thought, the thought that he was the, the firstborn. He didn't really like it. He kind of wished that he had been second, but he didn't understand why Jacob said, here's a bowl of soup, but to eat it and live, you got to give me your birthright. That's kind of crazy. And like when you finish chapter 25, like that's the end. Like I didn't know how Esau ended, and I thought, I got to figure out. I was literally hungry to figure out what happened to Esau and Jacob. I mean, we know that they end up, you know, um, Esau ends up serving Jacob for the rest of his life. But I wanted to know what was Esau's heart like. And so if you, you don't have to turn in this, but I did some heavy research and found out that in Hebrews chapter 12, there's two verses that are really key about Esau. Chapter 12, verse 16 in Hebrews. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as a firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for his repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. So there's a couple points there. It really points out that it was a single meal. It was just one bowl of soup and some bread. I wonder what else we could give up so quick for a simple moment of like satisfaction. What are we so willing to say, I'll do this for just a few moments, but then I'm done? That's a really tough thought. Like, would you trade your birthright for a bowl of soup? We'd like to say no, but we probably would if we were Esau. And I think that's kind of crazy to think about, like, 
As humans, we don't really think the big picture. We like the here and the now. We don't like to depend on God's big plan for us. If we're not happy in this very moment, then we're not happy and we're going to change it, no matter what God's plan is. And, of course, Esau didn't care. And for him, at that time, that was okay because he got that bowl of soup. But later we find out that when um, Isaac, his father, was giving his blessing, he gave it to Jacob and not Esau. And so Esau didn't get all of the things that he thought he deserved in life. And it talks about how he couldn't repent. And I thought, well, we all come before God at some point, hopefully, state our sins, ask for forgiveness, accept him into our hearts, and then we have his repentance. But I did some further research, and Esau didn't do that. Esau said that he did that, but he didn't fully acknowledge that he was a sinner before God. So he didn't get the repentance that he thought he deserved again. And Isaac, his father, kind of like helps portray that to us as we read it later on. But I got to thinking, like, meals are very crucial. Like, times of eating are very crucial in God's Word. Like, last week, we, you know, we kind of discussed about Adam and Eve and they, how they ate of the fruit. Like, that's not like sitting at a table eating, but they were having that intimate moment where they were together, they were eating, and God was with them. They didn't think that God was with them when they were with the serpent, but he was because he came out searching for them. Even though he knew what they had done, he was there. And I thought, you know, just one simple act like that. And in my mind, I think of the fruit as like a lemon or a grapefruit, something that's going to be really sour. But that one bite or two bites, whatever they did, changed our relationship with Christ for forever. That brought sin into the world, and there was a separation just from a meal that they had. And you see that here, Esau and Jacob, over a bowl of soup that Jacob has cooked, has separated two nations. It was a simple bowl of soup, and it split the world. That's crazy. And I got to thinking, you know, this week is very crucial. If you're a Christian, you kind of know, like, big things happened this week 2,000 years ago. A big meal took place this time 2,000 years ago. I don't know if it took place on a Wednesday or a Thursday. I don't know. But the Last Supper, where Jesus Christ was with his disciples, was a big meal that would split the world. And I think it's cool if we just kind of, like, take a moment and let that sit in. Because I was kind of thinking, you know, Easter's coming this Sunday. We got Passover. All these big things happening. And we are able to kind of read about that and kind of see what Jesus Christ was feeling. I mean, he cried until he bled. But do we really think about the small moments that led up to that? Like, do we see Esau and Jacob in the big picture? Because we know that Esau and Jacob didn't take God's timing seriously. Do we take God's timing seriously? And are we hungry to wait? I know that seems a little crazy. I don't like the word wait at all, unless it's like waiting for a shot, you know, something bad. I don't mind that. But like waiting for, in our mind, good things, I'm not quite fond of. Like I don't want to wait on dessert. I want dessert to come first. But we don't get that. And I think it's like hard in a way. Like I know that's like naive to say, but it's hard to say it and then to try to live it. Because I'm pretty sure if we were with Esau and Jacob and we said, Esau, would you really sell your birthright 
for a bowl of soup. He probably was like, no, no, I'm much stronger than that. I could have cooked myself something to eat. But no, in that split second, he made a decision that would change everybody. Because Abraham was related to Esau and Jacob. And Abraham died when the twins were 15 years old. And Rebekah was older, but she, Abraham was older than Rebekah and Isaac. And when he died, you can really see this key point in their relationship, how things happened. Um, when I was reading this story, I was, of course, kind of confused. I had to do lots of reading because when Keith was, like, telling me, like, this is what he was kind of thinking, I was like, mm, that sounds great. You got any more direction? I was kind of confused. I thought, well, I'm kind of on Team Esau, like he needed the bowl of soup. But now I can't be like Team Esau or Team Jacob. That sounds really weird. But I was very confused, and I thought, what is God trying to say to his people in this story? And, of course, waiting and seeing the big picture came into mind. And then again, what are we hungry for? I know, like, when we're born into this world, we're automatically born into sin. And we, at some point, make that decision in our life. You're either going to be continually hungry for sin or you're going to be hungry for Christ. And I believe that you can ask, quote, some Christians who they're hungry for, and they're going to say Christ. But if you look at their actions, they're more hungry for sin than they are for Christ. And I was kind of thinking in my life, like, what am I truly hungry for? Like, if I'm looking at my fleshly side... What am I hungry for? And there's a lot of things. Um, of course, there's like the physical stuff. Like I said, I like to eat like normal stuff like pot roast and hot wings. But they're just like, I want just like temporary happiness sometime. I want like validation from, from someone sometime. But that's not going to hold me over to eternity. That's not going to get me to heaven. Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ will get me there. But I was looking like, Esau and Jacob didn't kind of see things like that. And I tried to put myself like in their position. Because when I imagine it, they don't have a good relationship. Like they're not what we imagine our siblings to be like. Like they were angry at each other in the womb. You ask me, I don't know what it was like in the womb. I mean, I can barely remember like last week. But like these cats knew what happened. And they were going to keep up with that. That bond was not good. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, what kind of bond do we have with our brothers and sisters? And I'm not talking like blood brothers and sisters. I mean like real Christ brothers and sisters. Are we out seeking one another? Are we trying to help one another? Are we really seeking out others' hearts and praying for them? Like, Because we can send a simple text and say, I'm praying for you. Those words aren't going to help me. You praying for me is really going to help me. And I, I've been kind of seeing a lot of that, you know, like if you look like at social media and stuff, um, that people are kind of tired of that. And I got to thinking, you know, when you read that, especially like as a Christian, that kind of like hurts you a little bit. But it's the truth. Words are serious, like Keith was saying. But your actions are way more serious. If we're not out there actively seeking out others, even those that have not accepted Christ fully yet, we need to be seeking them. I know it's easy to kind of want to separate yourself from sin and people that really partake of sin. 
but you still need to seek them out. Don't partake in the sin, but seek the sinner, not the sin. And you have to truly try to work on loving them. I know, like, especially, like, when I was in high school, I had a real problem, like, being in that kind of mindset. Like, I could say that I was seeking out people, but if you really looked at my life, that's not what I was doing. Like, I could say I was doing that, but things were not lining up. And so, like, when I got into college, those cats didn't know me. They didn't know the kind of life that I lived. And it's like every three months, I get a new class of new people that don't know me. And so I always try to, if something were to happen to me, and, like, I didn't go back to class, what would they say about me? What would be the words that would fall out of their mouth? And I always try to, like, think like that. Or if something happened and, like, I couldn't speak, could they still know from my actions that Christ was all that I cared about in this life. And I got to thinking, like, what all could God take away from me and I'd still be okay with? You know, like, we think about Job, and Job had everything ripped away from him. I mean, his family, everything was gone. But he still sought after God. And I thought, could I be Job? Could I be that hungry for God that I would still be satisfied? And I, I was... If you saw me in my car, I probably looked like a crazy person. But I was talking to myself, like, listen out things. What could I give up? And, like, it's easy to say some things. Like, I could give up my phone. I could give up school. Yeah, you best believe I can give up school. But, like, truly, what could you give up? Could you give up the comfort of home? Could you give up your family? Could you truly give up this world and live without it? Like, what if you just had... Just this book. Just the Bible. Okay? We'll take just the, the whole book. Could you live and be okay? What if you just had one page? Would one page be enough? And see, like, in here, we can say, oh, yeah, I could do one page. But could you really? Have you lately thought about how hungry are you really for Christ? There are people that don't have access to the Bible, like, at all. It's not in their language. It hasn't been brought to them by some missionary. Nobody has sought after them with the Bible. But I guarantee you they're still hungry for it. There's still a void in their heart, and they're still yearning for the Word of God. And I don't know. I, I don't want to, like, rip up a Bible. That sounds horrible. But, like, it'd be nice to just, I don't know, kind of experience just having one page. Would that one page be enough for me? Or just one verse, would that be enough for me? I don't know. It's kind of something to think about. But I was seriously focused on what was my bowl of soup that I gave up to God. Like, what was the worldly thing that I had to bring before God and say, here, you can have my life, but this is it. And so I was really thinking, like, you know, we can say that we give up our sins and stuff. And, you know, I mean, at 12 years old is when I, quote, came to Christ. And, like, at that point, I think the worst thing I had done was, like, lied and stole some chapstick. And that's still sinning. But, I mean, it wasn't like I was wretched and was in prison somewhere. I got to thinking, like, every day I need to approach life like that. I need to just wake up and immediately thank Him and ask for forgiveness because it's easy on Wednesdays and Sundays when we're in this place 
to be hungry for God and raising our hands for worship and really seeking after him. But how are you on a Friday night or a Monday morning? Are you still just as hungry as you are in these four walls for Christ? Because we've seen that he really works wonders at meals. But that's only if we give up ourselves to him. Now Esau and Jacob, um, the nations do end up dividing. And there's the whole debacle about who gets the blessing. Jacob ends up getting the blessing. He pretends that he's Esau. And Isaac blesses Jacob. And it was a big hoopla. I mean, it was the family feud of all family feuds. I mean, it literally split the world again. But... You keep reading on, and like in Hebrews 12, 16, I went and read a couple of different versions, like what do they call Esau? And I read the ESV version, and it labels Esau as unholy. Not just immoral, unholy. And I thought, oh my gosh, like what if somebody put my name and then unholy? Like if that's how they saw me for the rest of time. Because this happened like, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. But we're still talking about Esau and Jacob just over a bowl of soup. What if somebody had done that to me? And that's a little scary to think about because we all are unholy, whether we want to admit it or not. Nobody in here is perfect. I don't believe in that. But, I mean, we do, and I hate to kind of just be kind of blunt with you, but we do deserve the worst I mean, we are wretched people. Now, sure, like, none of us are in prison at the moment. There are a lot of people in prison, in case you were wondering. But none of us, quote, in our eyes, probably seem that bad. But did you sin today? I mean, like, I'll raise my hand. Like, yeah. Are you seeing yourself as who you are? I don't want you to, like, get down on yourself and, like, have self-esteem problems. That's not what I'm trying to bring up. But do you look at yourself with clear eyes? But then do you turn around and see yourself with God's grace over you? Because this come in like we can. Um, I'm sure at some point we will, you know, think of Christ and how he died on the cross. And I happened to be driving down the road the other day, and there is this little Baptist church right close to my house. And they have the most radical church signs. And I mean like radical. Okay, like the stuff they say, I'm thinking, whoa, okay? Because one of them was like, if, you're, if your life is broken, Jesus was a carpenter. And I was like, he's trying to call me out, but okay, that's pretty good. But there's this week, and they change it every week, is the keys to heaven were hung on a cross. I'm driving down the road, and I'm like having to come to a stop. Like I am shook by this church sign. But when you think about it, it's true. Because what if Jesus Christ has said, oh no, like I'm not going to do that. He didn't do that. But what if he was not hungry for his own father and for us to have the love that he has and to get to enter into heaven with him? What if it wasn't like that and we had had to take our own place? That'd be really sad. I mean, we wouldn't have the stuff that we have now, especially like the love of Christ and the ability for salvation, and to get to enter into the gates with him. But that's crazy. And to think of what all he would endure these next couple of days. I mean, he would go into the wilderness and cry. I mean, and like we've had our blubbering moments, 
but he would be on his hands and knees before God, his own father, and crying until he bled. That's really kind of scary to think about, that somebody could love you that much. Not only did he cry for us at that moment, because if that was me, I'd be a little scared. And then they came out and sought him, and then he would be denied by some of his own people. When I say people, I mean like the 12 disciples. We all know that Judas just jumped ship, and then Peter was like, I don't know, God, times three. That's really scary. And then he continued to endure that. He was that hungry just for us. And I mean, and what? There's probably like 30 or 40 of us in here. Just us is enough. Just one of us was enough for him to go to the cross. Just one. But he went for everybody. Now, of course, we're left here with free will. I mean, we see that evident in Adam and Eve. And we get to choose. Do you want that or not? And we talk about counting the cost. There's a lot of cost. And I don't know if at 12 years old I would have known the cost. I, mean, I still don't know the full cost, I don't think. I mean, we know that he paid it. But do we really think about what we give up as Christians? That sounds really negative, and I don't mean for it to sound negative. But do we think about how we're going to be portrayed in society? I don't think it used to be quite as harsh as it is now. Um, and a lot of Christians are not quite open I'm a little bit open, okay? I mean, I've chosen a hard path in life. For some reason, I want to go to school, be a politician. A lot of people say that can't be done to be a Christian. I'm thinking, you just ain't seen me yet. But it's, it's hard. And we think that it's hard for us to go out and live this life and try to teach people about Christ. He did the hardest of hard things for us. And yet some people have no idea about it, and we continue to be okay with that. We won't even give them a bowl of soup. We like to say that we would send money to them for them to have a bowl of soup. But are we really seeking out people? I think um, Esau and Jacob have kind of a different relationship that I'm not quite used to. Like me and my sister, we're very tight. And it's kind of interesting because it said Rebecca. <laughs> And then, like, Jacob and Rachel, they end up married. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it kind of plugged us in. But me and my sister, like, you know, we're, we're pretty tight. You know, like, we got matching T-shirts and stuff. And we got a lot of good vibes together. We do a lot of laughing, you know, a lot of eating. And so, like, when it talks about a brother and sister, like, or two brothers fighting, I don't know about that, like. Is that really how it is? Like, I know, like, brothers and sisters have, like, their own kind of, like, faults, and they kind of get into little fusses. But are we like that with our brothers and sisters in Christ? I like the fact that Keith brought up gossiping. Because this was something that I had totally not thought about today, but are we treating our brothers and sisters in Christ like that? Like, are we saying nice things about them? Are you really being conscious of what's coming out of your, word, coming out of your words, coming out of your mouth? about others because Jesus Christ only said a few words on the cross and that's when he was talking to the thief and the thief came to know Christ and he would be in paradise with Jesus and the Father he didn't have to say a whole lot I don't, I don't think he read too much by him saying too lot 
from the time that he's in the wilderness to the time that he goes, he gets beat, he gets the cross and goes and is hung on the cross. He doesn't say a whole lot, but a lot of actions take place. And you can tell that he's truly hungry for God. Even when God turns his back and the whole world falls dark, Jesus Christ is still waiting to go and be with his father. Are we having that level of anticipation? I don't want you to just say, I'm hungry for God. I want to see it in your life. And I hope that if you don't see that I'm hungry for Christ in my life, that you would call me out. I hope that you would say something. And I'm not saying like for you to be mean to others, because that's definitely not what I want. But I want us to be conscious of ourselves and others. To be hungry for Christ. Because I kind of feel like the people that are here on a Wednesday night are like the good core group, you know. Like we're kind of always here on Wednesday nights. But it shouldn't just be us here on Wednesday nights. This place is full on Sundays. Like you can't find a seat. Why is it that our lack of hunger goes down as the week goes on? Every day should feel like a Sunday. You should wake up and worship Christ every day like you do on a Sunday. You don't need Kayla Wright. You don't need Dawn. You don't need anybody. You and Jesus. That should be all. So I hope, like, as we go on throughout our week, and I know it's spring break and stuff, and, like, we don't have a lot of people here, I hope that you will evaluate what are you hungry for. Are you willing to sell yourself for just something that's temporary? Or do you want eternal fullness in your life? Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that we would take a look at ourselves with open eyes and be honest with ourselves and that we would seek after you and your redemption power, Father. I know that we are going to continue to fail. We will fail every single day and we will never be perfect. But it all starts with us confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness, Lord. And asking for you to take control of this whole picture of this whole life. And if that means waiting or going somewhere, let us have peace and be okay with that decision, Father. Because everything that you have your hand on is divine and good. No matter if we see it now or if we never see it, it's always going to be good, Father. And I pray that we would have a newfound hunger for you, just for you, and that we would be able to not fall into this world and fall into the devil and all of his ways, even though he's really conniving and manipulating. I pray that we would always stand strong with you and you would be the only thing that we want in this world. I ask that you be with us, um, guide our hearts, and bless us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.